Well, we are still in the Easter season as we join uh, the church around the world in looking at the resurrection and how it has affected our lives. I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, or your phone. Let's go to John chapter 13, and why don't we go ahead and stand today, and we'll stand and read the scripture today. And at this time, if you're being baptized in water, or your child's being baptized in water, if you don't mind going to the back to check in with our team, and if you need to take the class, that they'll be there to help you with that. But uh, we have, our team is in the blue t-shirts, and so they're waiting for you at the back door to help you get organized. You might say, well, I'm interested in being baptized in water, but I'm not sure if I'm ready. Well, this would be a great time to check in with them. We won't make you, just, uh, we just will give you information about um, that opportunity. And so this is a great way. We've, we've instituted this or added this. I don't like the word institute. Uh, that's a really negative word. We've uh, added this to um, just make sure when those who are being baptized in water come, we just know they understand the gospel. It's not just something we do culturally because we're in the American South. This is something that uh, is symbol, symbolizes our life, okay? So we, we look forward to rejoicing. We had two baptized in water at the 9 a.m. service, and from the information I have, we'll have a, another handful, uh, five to six, in this service. The title of my message today is A New Command. A New Command by Jesus. When someone passes away, we often go back and we start reflecting on some of the things they said right before they passed. And if it's someone who's somewhat famous, we maybe look at some of their last public appearances or public statements. When it's someone we know personally, our, our memory goes back and we try to remember where they were, what they were saying, uh, because there's some significance to that. And that's how we're going to look at the scripture today. The scripture we look at today in John 13 actually occurred before the resurrection. But I, I think the disciples, after the resurrection, went, oh, yeah, now we know what he was talking about. Now it makes sense. And so we'll do the same today. We're going to let the, the passage in John 13, in light of his death and resurrection, uh, feed us today. Starting with verse 31, it says, When he had gone out, and that was Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself in himself and will glorify him at once. That was a really complicated statement, basically saying, Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. Verse 33. Children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I tell you. And here's the heart of today's message, verse 34. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just thank you for this new commandment, this new way of living, this new perspective on life. And I just pray for revelation. I pray for life. I pray, God, that today what you intended uh, to the best of our ability as frail humans, I pray that what you were intending to say to those disciples would come alive to us so that we would be the type of people you want us to be. So we give this to you in Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, we say amen. 
All right, you may be seated. Well, one of my favorite movies of all time came out in 1986. Uh, it's called Hoosiers. It was one of the first sports movies that really caught culture off guard, and now sports movies uh, are occurring all the time uh, because of the success of this one. So if you remember in this movie, Gene Hackman, as you see on the screen, is Coach Dell, a successful coach uh, in the past, but he fell on hard times. Now he's in the little town in Indiana coaching uh, this tradition-rich small town. And he's trying to give them new techniques because the team just loved to shoot the ball. Uh, but Coach Dell has a rule, four passes before you shoot. Now, I saw this movie, and I like this movie, so seven or eight years ago when I tried to coach upward girls basketball, I tried to implement that rule. Jenna was on that team, and it did not work. The third-grade girls did not want to listen to four passes before a shot. So, so I can identify with, uh, with Coach Dale here. So he tries to implement the system. They don't like the system. They're in their first game, and something that sometimes happens to coaches occurred. The best player was not listening to the coach, but he was succeeding. He wasn't doing the four passes, but he was making the shots, and the shots were going in. And that sometimes happens when you coach. You're like, oh, I'm thinking about the long term, but in the short term, this isn't good. So he pulls this very accomplished player and benches him. Now, what I didn't tell you, there was only six guys on the team. So one guy's bench, there's five guys that are playing. Of those five guys, as the game unfolds and the game does not go well, they're not responding well to this four passes type of uh, coaching, um, one of the players fouls out. So the guy who was bench automatically acts like he's going back in the game, but Coach Dale says no. The referee says, Coach, you need to put your team out. And he defiantly says, my team is on the court. And that was the beginning. I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but they won the state championship. Sorry. You had 30 years to see the movie. So if you hadn't seen it yet, I don't feel too bad about a spoiler alert. So short term, short term for the purposes of developing this team, four was better than five. You know, you've probably been in situations like that, social situations where there is addition by subtraction I mean, somebody leaves and it just changes the tone of the office. All of a sudden, the culture improves. Maybe it's just not a fit. Some type of, some type of organization, sometimes of gathering, sometimes with culture, some people leaving actually improves the group. So it did in the long term for that basketball team. This is kind of what I think happened with Jesus and his 12. Because... They were at the Passover in chapter 13, and Judas finally departed. And Judas finally departed to go betray Jesus. Jesus knew about this, though the others didn't. And when this happened, there, this sense of relief came over. It was, we're kind of reading into the scripture here, but it's almost like, okay, Jesus said, now I can finally tell you the plan. Now, we know that Judas was not a believer because of some of the things Scripture told us earlier. 
I've heard some people talk about, I remember hearing a message really when I was young about, about Judas and was he Christian or was he not a Christian or a believer, a disciple. Um, but the scripture gives several indications that his heart was not in the right place. He never truly believed in Jesus. Um, another time when Jesus used a met metaphor of being washed, he said, not all of you have been washed. Um, he was not among the chosen ones. And so Jesus would often refrain in some of his speeches to his disciples because he said phrases like this, not all of you are clean. He said another time, he, he said the phrase, I speak not to all of you. There was a sense that there was one among them who was not right. And we know that Satan had planted him. He planted Judas. Judas was there working against the will of God. And so as soon as Judas left, it seems that the atmosphere cleared up. The weight was lifted. And Jesus seems to have instructed his disciples about his crucifixion and about his resurrection with type of, a type of new fervor. And I want us to allow Judas today to be a personification of what I want to call lifeless religion. See, Judas was respected. I'm going to tell you why I know he was respected. It's because he was the treasurer of the group. And in any type of club or organization, um, whoever is in charge of the money is respected. I mean, they're putting out checks. They're, they're the one that's distributing the funds. And so there seems to be this trustworthiness about Judas. There seems to be this part of him that is esteemed, that is seen as trustworthy, uh, that is seen as, as someone who um, is defending the group and is watching out for the welfare of the group. And I want us to allow him to personify lifeless religion because it's very, very scary to see this, to see this in our own hearts, that we can be so close to Jesus. In fact, we're so close to him that others who are around Jesus respect us. We're close to Jesus and we're ascending in the ranks of the religious organization or the church or the hierarchy, but we're not saved. We're not right with God. Now, if you've heard me preach on a regular basis, you know that I'm not about making you feel insecure about your salvation. I, I, want, you to, I want to point you to Jesus week after week after week. I want you to be sure of your salvation. But I have to let us all look at the potential that there's those among us who are going through the motions religiously, but their hearts are not connected to Jesus. It is possible. It is possible. One of the things that happens when revival comes, and the word revival means a reviving, a bringing back to life. It's when people who are not Christians, but they're in the church, start getting saved. And historically, that has happened over and over and over again, even in our nation. There hasn't been a legitimate revival in years. Some argue 40, some argue 20 years. There hasn't been a legitimate revival in America yet, and we're due one. We need one. Because we got a lot of people that are going through the motions, acting like they're Christians, but their hearts are far from God. And here is an indicator of this. An indicator of this is the level of love that we have. Because Jesus is, is exuding love. He's exuding his purposes. And this new commandment he gives tells us that. And that's why the first point I want you to write down today if you're filling in the blank on your outline, is the new commandment that we read about already 
frees us to love. It frees us to be men and women who love the world and love those around us. And there's nothing more powerful than this. It was after Judas's departure that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, that which we will celebrate later on this morning. The bread, the cup, the opportunity at this church that we give you every week to center you on Jesus, to center you on the faith, to center you on the personality of Jesus and to declare his death, his resurrection, and his return. Jesus instituted this after Judas left. It was like a sense that, okay, now I'm going to fully implement my plan and what I want to do. No more restraint. I have my my fellowship, I have my person, my people, I have the 11 that I'm going to use to, to impact the world. When I talk about Judas being lifeless religion, you know what lifeless religion is about? Lifeless religion is about keeping people out, keeping people on the outside. If you think about the Jewish faith from which we spring from, which we owe so much to the Jewish faith, and we thank God for that, but before Jesus, the Jewish faith was about all the things that disqualified you from God's presence. If you did certain things, you were unclean. Certain things that you didn't even control caused you to be unclean. There were certain rituals that you had to go through, and it was all about who is disqualified. Many, many are disqualified. Many, many cannot be part of this. Jesus turns us around, and Jesus brings a message that says, I'm bringing people in. I'm going out to those who are on the outside. I'm going to those who have not been included. I'm going to those who are untouchable. I'm going to those who are overlooked. I'm going to those who are bound in sin. And the, the kingdom of God says, come on. Come on in. God has gone to people. God is seeking after people. Religion says, Who's on the outside? Jesus said, who's on the inside? Who is coming in to be part of what we're doing? That is the heart of Jesus. And I sense that in this new command. He's saying this. He said, I have a new command. I have a new way. The old way is gone. The old way of religion was excluding, excluding, excluding. The new way is including, inviting. The new way is reaching out. The new way is, is a, a sense of equality at the cross, that everyone needs salvation. Everyone needs Jesus. None are immune. All are welcome. You know, one of the weaknesses of the academic world, and if you don't know me, I've given a lot of my life to the academic world, so I believe in it, but like everything, there's some weaknesses. One of the weaknesses of the academic world is the lack of applied learning. You can learn something, but if you don't apply it, it does no good. You don't experience applied learning by reading. That's not enough. You don't experience applied learning by instruction manuals. You don't experience applied learning even by rote memorization. All of those things may help prepare your mind for action, but the only way you apply learning is by doing. It's not enough just to get the information in your head. you got to do something. And so it doesn't matter what you've learned. If you don't apply it to your life, it doesn't benefit others. So I think about 
this baptistry you see here on your left. When we first got this, it, it came in this, this jumbled pieces. And in fact, when we disassemble it later on uh, this afternoon, um, it's all going to fit in a closet. So if you open that closet, you would see all these different pieces. You would not know how to put it together. But there is an owner's manual, and there actually is a YouTube video. So when we first got this seven or eight, six, seven years ago, me and, and David, our former associate pastor, we studied those things. And, man, it took us about an hour and a half to put this thing together. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, we're not the two smartest guys in the world anyway, but um, it took the two of us like an hour and a half to put this all together and to figure it out. From that point forward, it's never taken us more than 30 minutes to physically put it together. And here's the reason why. It's because everyone who learns how to put this together, I show them how to do it. I don't say read about it or go watch a video. I, I show them how to put the pieces together and do it with them. And then once I show it to them, they're able to do it themselves. I say that because, and, and let me even rephrase that. I don't just show it to them, I do it with them. That's even a better way to put it. They, they're doing it with me at the same time. And it's so much faster. It's so much easier when we learn that way. Do you know that the Bible has always told us to love people? Even under the old system, it didn't work. Even under the Old Testament, scriptures like Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18 says this. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God even said in his first covenant, he said, because I am the Lord, you need to love people like you love yourself. The problem is we knew about it. We just didn't know how to do it. We didn't know how to do it. We read about it, love your neighbor as yourself. We heard about it as the prophets, as the rabbis taught Leviticus 19.18 and other scriptures with this theme. But we really didn't know how to do it until someone came and showed us how to do it. God became man. God became flesh. Jesus personified Human flesh, or he became human flesh so that, so that he could show us how to love. That's your second point today. The new commandment is to show how to love. John 13, 33 says it this way. We're looking back at our Satan text today. Children, I am with you a little longer. Now this phrase children is interesting because... Jesus uses this phrase, and it's the only time Jesus ever uses this phrase or uses that particular word. Paul used it one other time in his writings, but it's a, an affectionate word. It's a fatherly word. It's, it's not a demeaning word. It's not a word that belittles people. That's not what it's communicating. It's an intimate word, an affectionate word, and Jesus says this to these 11 now. It says, children. I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, and several times he had already told the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. What he was saying is, I'm God. I'm not going to stay in a grave. I'm going to heaven. So now I tell you. And so then he goes on and says what is the heart of this message today and the heart of our faith, verse 34. I give you a new command Love one another just as I have loved you. 
What do you mean this is a new command? Didn't we just read Leviticus 19.16? We've always been told to treat others the way we want to treat ourselves. What's new about this? It's not new in that it had never been heard before. It was new in the sense that it was emphasized with new power, with new authority, with new emphasis. Why? The rest of the scripture says, love one another just as I have loved you you must also love one another. Jesus said, love is not now something you just read about and you hear people preach about. Love is something that I've come down and shown you how to love. This, guys, this is an incredible statement. This changes so much. The book of John, John was the apostle, the disciple who was so close to Jesus. And 54 excuse me, 56 times in the book of John, he uses the word love. He goes on in 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and Revelation. The theme of love comes up over and over and over and over again. The one who was closest to Jesus, the one that said that Jesus loved, is also the apostle of love. And he reiterates this call to love over and over and over again. John quotes Jesus in John 17, 26, and Jesus said these words. He said, I made your name known to them and will make it known. So the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. This is a, a wonderful scripture. When we're talking to little kids, we often encourage them to ask Jesus into their hearts. I don't I had not seen yet in the Bible where that phrase is in the Bible. It's a phrase that we have inferred from the Bible because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes at salvation. But I also think of that phrase when I read the scripture because Jesus says, I want to be in the hearts of my people. And one of the reasons I'm, ways I'm in the hearts of my people is when love is in my people. So the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. To love one another was not a new commandment. It was new that the believers had to love a certain way, that we have to love the way Jesus loved. That's why we should continue to study the life of Jesus. We should continue to study the Gospels. The Gospels are not always easy to understand. Jesus speaks in metaphor. Jesus speaks in parables. Jesus speaks in stories. Jesus is sometimes... Um, limiting his revelation. And that's why studying the gospels is something we do the rest of our life and the Holy Spirit keeps showing us more and more and more. And we can't truly understand the gospels without understanding the Old Testament. And we can't truly understand the gospels without understanding Peter and John and Paul and James's explanation in the epistles. But yet we continue to study Jesus because we get more and more revelation of him and he is our standard and he is the one that we look after. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon series about Jesus, and I shared this story with you that John Ortberg shared in his book, but I felt led to share this again this morning. Around 165 AD, not long after Jesus went to heaven, an epidemic that now historians think was the smallpox killed about a third of the population. One historian wrote that people in these early plagues, they had no one to look after them. There were many in houses in which all of the inhabitants perished. 
with no care at all. The bodies of the dying were heaped up, one on top of the other. No fear of God, our law, our man had a restraining influence. This idea of almost 1,800 years ago, when this epidemic came, um, people were suffering and people didn't know what to do. Another epi- a second epidemic came just a few decades later. And now, if you understand the danger of epidemic, what is your natural instinct? It is to run. It is to fly. It is to get out of there. That's our instinct. And in fact, I kind of have this problem in myself. Like, I'm really weird like this. I'm always imagining, like, really disastrous things happening. Like, when I visit New York, I'm like, what if a dirty bomb happens? Where would I go? Would I go down low or would I get up high? Or, or how would I get out of, off the island? And I'm always thinking about that. I'm, you know, when I go to stadiums or something, I'm like, if that park collapses, where's the exit route? You know, I'm always thinking through these type of things. When I'm on a plane, I'm studying everything. I'm just really weird like that. I just always have these disastrous things come to my mind. If uh, something happened in Nashville, how would I get my family out? Where would we go? What would we do? I have secret plans that are all locked up right in here. But our natural instinct like that is to, to survive, self-survival. And that is in, in part of our instincts. That's part of, of who we are. And no doubt in the third century when there was verbal, you know, verbal um, story of the first plague, people would, would certainly flee if a second plague came. And a second plague did come. A little less than a century later came a second epidemic in which at its height, 5,000 people were reported dying daily in the city of Rome. And people responded in panic and they fled the city of Rome. Now, Ortberg writes this about the religion of that day. He said, there was no guidance in the writings of Homer, no commands from the Greek god Zeus, to care for dying people you do not know while putting your own life at risk. But there was in that world a community that remembered they followed a man who would touch lepers while they were unclean and who told his disciples to go heal the sick. And so the Christians stayed in the city. And the Christians cared for the sick. And the Christians cared for those who were, who were affected by the plague. And it was the love of the Christians that propelled our faith to be accepted by the Roman Empire. It was the love shown in the face of adversity. Love that I'm not sure that I have at this point of my walk with God. That's why the last thing that I want to point out about this new command is that we are distinguished by love. We are distinguished by love. And when I give you that point, can I just confess to you something? My flesh, I feel like, well, this is not like deep. This is not impressive. This is not something that at lunch today, you'll say, well, man, Aaron went deep today. He pulled up some obscure scripture in the Old Testament that I had forgotten about and picked that baby apart. That guy's good. Here I am giving you this third point. We're distinguished by love. And my flesh feels like this is weak. 
and, and this, is, this is some kind of soft sermon, and this is some kind of feel-good sermon, but nonsense. Because if we truly understand that the love that we have for each other and for the world will change the world. The reason we have hospitals today is because of the church. The reason we have medical care today is because of the church. It was birthed in the church. It's our love for each other that spills out into the world. That's the most powerful representation of who our God is. That's why Jesus said this in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's, that's it. People won't know we're his disciples because of our stances on social issues, those we, though we need to have stances on social issues. People won't know that we're disciples because of our moral character, though our moral character obviously matters because the scripture talks about it. People won't know that we're disciples by our influence just because we get in charge of all stuff, though I think it's a good thing for Christians to lead. People will know we're disciples because of how much love we have. And yet somehow we think that this is some kind of passive, weak teaching or statement the 11 disciples that were left with Jesus would only survive in his absence if they loved one another. Christian love enabled them to survive in a hostile world. Christian love was the embodiment of God's love. And Christ was alive when everyone operated in his love. 1 John 3.14, as time passed on and John deepened and reflect on these things, he said these words, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. I want to tell you, this is one of the reasons God hates church splits that are done wrong. God hates disunity in this church. God hates division in this church because the sign that we have passed from death to life is our love for one another. The one who does not love remains in death. Man, to love each other is the most important thing. You know, to love each other means we won't agree with one another. I may disagree with you, but with God's help, I want to love you. I have a feeling someone in here is a Washington Redskins fan, and it's really hard to love that fact about you, but I love you. I want to tell you this. I'm going to love you if you vote for Donald Trump, our Hillary Clinton, our Bernie Sanders. Or Ted Cruz. I don't, I'm going to love you. I have, a, I have some opinions on that, but that doesn't matter this morning. What matters is I'm going to love you no matter who you vote for. I may disagree with you. I may not agree with your judgment, but you don't have to hide that from me. You don't have to think that I'm going to think less of you because of you make a political choice. I'm going to love you no matter what because you're my brother, you're my sister, and we're the church. And wouldn't it be nice for us to be able to debate tax policy and debate a social issue and then still love each other when we're done? Why can't we do that? We might actually learn from each other. You know, the rest of our lives, guys, we have 
this is a great challenge to our spirit. Will we grow in love? Will we grow in love? Let's stand together. Jesus said, a new command, I give you love one another. Theological positions really do matter. We, we really need to have opinion. I, I want you to have an opinion. Because if you have an opinion, it means you've actually thought about something. As he said, I don't really care. No, care. Have an opinion. Think it through. Read it through. Have an opinion. But don't stop loving once you form your opinion. We've got to... We've got to stand morally. We have to stand theologically. We have to stand for what we think right for city policy here. We have to stand for what we think is right for all these different church issues. Even if you have an opinion and, and you, you have an opinion on how things are run around here, you're entitled to that. That's your, your opinion. Please uh, as a, as let me know and or let another church leader know. And Let's improve. Let's get better. Let's don't stop loving each other. Let's love each other to the end. Let's love each other deeply. Let's love each other when we disagree. Let's love each other when we're, when we're sick and when we're healthy and when we're poor and when we're rich and when we've got it together and when we're struggling. How many would like to be part of a faith community where you don't have to fake it every Sunday? We can say, this is just me. This is just me. And I'm not scared of the ramifications because I know I've got people who are going to love me. And you know why these people are going to love me? Because they know the one who's loved us first. And Jesus said, I've got a new commandment. No more, no more that religion that just defines the outsiders. It's religion that says, come on, come to the cross. Come to Jesus. Come to that place of connection. Come to the place where God meets man. Come, as we'll sing in a second, come to the altar of the Lord.